Welcome to the launch of a brand new series called Asking for a Friend, which seeks to provide a biblical framework, a biblical worldview of um, answering uh, some of life's toughest questions. Um, have you ever ha had tough questions regarding life and faith and how that works out? Are there like issues in culture like race, inequality, um, gender, sexuality, politics, maybe even end time prophecies? Are we living on the end times um, that you've been wrestling with? You know, one of the things that uh, pastors really uh, would hate to experience is that we are answering questions that nobody's asking. And so what we've done uh, is we've prayerfully, along with the staff and the council, we've um, uh, tackled and we've compiled some of the questions that people have had uh, regarding uh, just questions that they have regarding their faith and the great news is this, you guys, is that, first of all, that you are not alone in the questions that you have. And secondly, and even more importantly, is that the Bible has the answers to life's toughest questions. And this morning, we're going to be talking about Christians and politics, the Christian and politics. And specifically, we're going to ask this question of how should Christians view politics. I'm asking for a friend, but what, how should a Christian approach and view uh, politics? Because usually there's uh, two approaches that churches have when it comes to the political realm around election time. One is partisanship, where a certain church, sometimes in the name of trying to pursue Christian values, that uh, we marry ourselves and associate ourselves to a certain political party. And sometimes it becomes unbiblical. And the second way is that we approach it through uh, being quiet about it and silence. There's a dichotomy of either partisanship or silence. And so what we want to do is that we want to just lay it out on the open, kind of address the elephant in the room of how should Christians view politics. And for that, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. And um, my goal in this series, and especially in this message, is not to tell you what to think, but to show you how to think biblically, how to have a theological framework of, from Genesis to Revelation of what does the Bible say regarding politics, all right? And, um, you know, here in the United States, we live in an extreme polarization where it's this type of polarization, it's intense and it's very extreme. We see this uh, polarization in other parts of the world, but it's really... Uh, pretty gnarly over here in the United States. And what's really sad is that this polarization has infiltrated and has entered the church. We have folks um, split right down the middle and are just polarized where people are at um, and people are unable to speak and be respectful and be cordial um, when it comes to politics especially the election season that we've had, um, you know, it's very uh, polarizing where uh, 
we can't even speak um, with respect to one another. Uh, it's a great tragedy. And the thing is, everyone is speaking as if they're speaking from God or for God, whether they are far from far on the far right or on the far left. And you know what? I'm not exempt. Uh, I'm in it myself. I have uh, family members and extended family members with very strong and very opinionated uh, views regarding uh, politics. And, uh, you know, I'm deeply concerned that if we are grounded theologically, or if we're not grounded theologically, then we'll be swept up with the polarization and the intensity around us. You know, as a spiritual leader, as a pastor, I lead in the name of Jesus, and my task, as uh, John, uh, Jesus tells Peter, is to feed my sheep. I mean, all of us, whatever um, sense of leadership, we need to uh, feed the sheep. So moms and dads, whether, whether you're at home, you, you give spiritual truth to your children. We lead people in green pastures. We keep them away from spiritual danger. That's why James says that, you know, hey, don't desire to be a, a teacher because you come under stricter judgment. And um, in Matthew chapter uh, 16, uh, Jesus gives us a warning. And here's the, our first point uh, this morning is this. Be careful against the corruption of politics. Be very careful. Jesus says, guard against the corruption of politics. Let's look at verse 6. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's jump down to verse 12 after the disciples are arguing. What is what's Jesus talking about? Then they understood, in verse 12, the disciples that he, Jesus, did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Even in Jesus' time, there was a lot of polarization, there was a lot of friction, and there was a lot of tension. So you have the Sadducees on one end, okay? They only believed the first five books of Moses. So they were what we call conservatives. Uh, these were the chief priests. They were the le leading aristocrats. They were very wealthy and powerful. They were based in Jerusalem and they controlled the temple. Like all the priests, all the teachers of the law were under the Sadducees and they represent, they represent the mainline Judaism. Um, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's why they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection of those who belong to God. Um, and they really clashed with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, they were very zealous and they were popular with the renewal movement. They were seeking to purify Israel from all the contamination from the Romans and the Greeks and all the pagan influences. And they wanted to cleanse God's people so that the Messiah could return. Uh, they had a theology that was very strict, that was very um, 
uh, perfectionistic and they really clashed with Jesus. And that's why uh, when the Sadducees and the Pharisees uh, got together and they had an opportunity to crucify Jesus, they teamed up even though they didn't like each other because uh, they had an agenda of establishing a political reign, a political power here on earth. And Jesus says, hey, be careful of the leaven. I believe the NIV says, be careful of the yeast. Now, um, yeast, in the biblical times, they were used to make bread um, uh, rise, and it conveyed a very strong religious uh, sense to it. Because during the uh, Passover celebration, when the angel of death passed over those and spare the life of those who had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. They, they were to eat Passover or um, bread without yeast or bread without leaven. So you'd take this little yeast or a little leaven and you put it on bread and it would take time to, to make it rise. And the people of God, they were to leave in um, haste. They were to leave right away. And I love that. I love that from one moment they could just be in captivity and the next morning they were free people and they had to go right away. And it reminds them of this kind of as the great reversal, so to speak, that I, I spoke about last week. But by Jesus' day, leaven had become a powerful symbol that indicated impurity. It represented an ingredient that watered something down that had originally been pure. The Bible warns us that, hey, a little yeast leavens the whole bread. And Jesus says, hey, be careful of the yeast. He later explains, be careful of the what? The teaching. Yeah, be careful of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because... Um, Jesus saw that both parties were dangerous, dangerously corrupting God's message. Let's look at Mark's account of this narrative in Mark chapter 8, verse 15. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast or the teaching of the Pharisees, and not Sadducees this time, but of Herod. So we have the Pharisees. We have the Sadducees, now we have the Herodians. Now the Herodians, these were Jews that were involved in the political party and they associated themselves and aligned themselves politically with King Herod. Um, so beware of the yeast or the teaching because when yeast gets in the dough, it corrupts it. In this polarization, we need to be on guard that we do not find our identity in our political affiliation. That Jesus says, be careful that we don't go all in on the teachings or the values or the principles of the far right and the far left. And not only the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, but there were three groups in Jesus' time. There were the Essenes. The Essenes were uh, kind of um, ascetic uh, 
uh, community that they lived out in the desert. They disavowed themselves of earthly possessions. They didn't own slaves. They lived in community. They fasted. They prayed. They gave up their earthly possessions, and they they, they were just kind of this monastic, or, or um, they were this kind of monastic community that focused on, uh, you know, the word of God. So instead of overtaking the government, the scenes were like, no, we're going to isolate ourselves, go into the desert so we won't be contaminated by the world. And then there's not only the scenes, but there was the zealots who wanted to overtake with power and with the sword. They want to overthrow the Roman government by force. They caused uprisings and mutinies to take over the political sphere and to take over the political arena. And there's also those who compromise, like Matthew, the, the tax collector. And Matthew, he compromised and he, the totality of his, he totally assimilated into the Roman culture for the sake of profit. So you see here the polarity, the, the polarization that happened. And Jesus warns us, be on guard that your heart isn't captured, that you are not all in, that you're not completely enamored and affiliate yourselves with the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, of the conservatives and the liberals. You want to hear something that kind of shocked me as I did my study this week? Uh, according to Public Religion Research Institute, Americans are more likely to be unhappy if their kids marry someone from a different political party than if they marry someone outside of their religion. Take a moment to let that sink in. Mom and dad are less concerned about their son or daughter marrying outside of the faith rather than marrying outside of their political party. That's crazy. What does that mean? It simply means that we have a large portion of our population that says that political affiliation matters more than religious identity. We're witnessing something greater than just um, political polarization. We're watching the uh, transmutation of politics and politics has become a religion. For, Mary, for a lot of Americans, it's not that politics supersedes their religion, but that politics is their religion. Politics has a stronger and a wider effect on them than their personal belief does. So whether it's the cult of MAGA, making America great, or the cult of intersection, intersectionality, the result is the same. Their political orientation defines their identity and they cannot imagine a world any other way. And Jesus says, don't be on guard. Be on guard against aligning yourself, your allegiance, your loyalty to the teaching of any particular party, conservative 
or liberal or anything in between. Which brings us to the second point, which is this. No political party encapsulates all the values of the kingdom of God. Let me repeat that. No political party captures or encapsulates all the values of God's kingdom. Jesus says in John chapter 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If, it's, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Did you catch what Jesus says here? If you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to be a Christian, a believer, a disciple of Jesus, the kingdom of God is not of this world. The kingdom of God is not the Republican Party. The kingdom of God is not the Democratic Party or Independent Party. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. Our loyalty, our allegiance is not wholly associated to a political party. So how should Christians view politics? We should view ourselves that our primary identity, our primary allegiance, our primary devotion is to Christ first and foremost. It's the primary, keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. You see, because uh, both parties, conservatives, the far right and the far left, um, they have truth. Right, Republicans and the and the right, uh, there's there's good things like um, holding on to your freedom and liberty and and property and ownership, the sanctity of life in all ages, whether it's in the womb, protecting against abortion or against the elderly in euthanasia. Um, there's a sanctity of marriage, so there's good things on one end of the spectrum but on the other end of the spectrum right there is uh, the, the left which is about social justice about compassion on the poor on the immigrants and the refugees about racial equality and these are both good things but you see one overemphasizes the other you see here it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum that you're at. Both have good things and both have bad things. Both have an overemphasis. And the other way is that the, the this pendulum is swung on the complete polar opposite. But all that to say is that none of these parties, no political party, no political candidate, no political affiliation, captures the kingdom of God. There's good things in each one. This reminds me of, of 1 Samuel chapter 8, where the people, Israel, they, it's one of the saddest commentaries where the people rejected theocracy. God provided theocracy before where he says, I will be your king. I will go before you. I will fight your battles. I will provide for you. I will give you rest from war. I will give you your land rest. 
But the people of God, Israel said, no, no, we don't want you. They rejected God, their king. And they said, we want to be like other nations and we want an earthly king. But really, no matter what political party that you, uh, you affiliate with, no political party really captures the kingdom of God. Only the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. All these earthly things, we're not citizens, Philippians reminds us, right, that we're not citizens of this world, that we were citizens of heaven. And so whatever your political convictions are, just beware that you don't go fully all in, like your hopes, your ambitions, your life on a political party or a political candidate, or a governor, or a mayor, or a president. We put our hope in Christ and not in politics because the kingdom of God lives forever. The earthly things that we are right now, that we're living in right now, this is just temporal. And only the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. Amen. And lastly, we'll go ahead and close with this. Choose the crucified Jesus, not the Americanized Jesus. Choose the crucified Jesus and not the Americanized Jesus. I think we're all familiar with uh, the Passion Week, where, especially towards the end, we encounter this um, infamous character named uh, Barabbas. And we usually just think, oh, it's Barabbas. And uh, we get most of our information from the Gospel of Mark. But the Gospel of Matthew actually has something interesting to say. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 16. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? See, Jesus Barabbas was popular because he was not afraid to use force. He was a patriot. He was a nationalist. He was a revolutionist. And he believed in the power of the sword and he could get things done and he could take care and he could take care and and use force against the Roman Empire. And he could exert his political influence. But Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, he's nonviolent. He's seemingly passive. He's waiting on the kingdom of God. He's a quiet man. He's a meek man. In fact, when they're making this, their charges against him, he said, and he did not open his mouth. He believes in the power of angels, and he's this kind of sort of a dreamer in that sense. At least Barabbas was a doer. He was a realist. He just didn't talk the talk, but he walked the talk. We actually used, he, he murdered people, um, the, the enemy, in order to advance Israel. But the question is, who holds the greatest promise to Israel's future against the hated Rome? Who's going to bring results? Now, Jesus Barabbas 
seemed like he's a realistic hope than the preacher with angel power and nonviolence against this terrible and pagan Roman Empire. You know, as we close, you know, one of the great contribution of this trial narrative is that it asks the church in every generation for the last 2,000 years, which Jesus do we choose? Do we choose Jesus Barabbas, who's going to make things happen? Or Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, the crucified one? You know, I love it when Pilate asked, which of these two do you want me to be released to you? And they respond, Barabbas, Barabbas, release Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And they're like, and Pilate's like, what am I going to do with Jesus, the Messiah? He said, crucify him, crucify him. So my heart this morning is that I hope I presented that we are to set our hearts, set our focus, set our minds, set our priorities, not in an earthly kingdom, which is gone, which is here now, but gone tomorrow. But we would set our hope in the King of Kings, in the kingdom of God, this heavenly kingdom where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ. And we're going to prepare this morning with a communion. So let's go ahead and get our bread and our juice. As we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we want to have a posture of self-examination this morning. Where do you put your hope? Where is your trust? Are you putting your hope in the kingdom of God or are you putting your hope in a political party? Jesus warns us in Matthew and Mark, uh, beware, stand guard, be careful that you don't um, just consume the teaching this corruption of either the far right or the far left or the right or the left or the Pharisees or the Sadducees or even the Herodians but we are to set our hope in Christ and Christ alone Amen Paul says for I received from the Lord which I now deliver unto you that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed he took the bread he broke it he gave thanks and said this is my body broken for you eat of this in remembrance of me let's go ahead and pray let's lift up our portion God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ we love you we thank you Lord that you have ushered in your kingdom of righteousness and peace and of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is not temporal, but your kingdom is eternal, and that your kingdom is advancing, that the gates of Hades cannot contain when the kingdom of God advances. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would examine and search our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would put our faith and our trust in you, that we know you, 
sharing your sufferings, know the power of your resurrection and to live that out in our everyday life. So as we eat this bread, would you give sustenance to your people? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and eat of the bread. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink of this as often as you eat. For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And let's drink the cup together. Amen.